This is the Jets-Centric Podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to episode 16 of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm one of your hosts. A um, couple things of business to get to. First of all, tonight, as I'm recording this uh, early morning, uh, Thursday, October 4th, the Jets play their first game away at St. Louis. So some of us are getting together tonight at the Saddlery on Market. Um, we've watched some games there before, so hopefully you come and check it out with us there. Come uh, meet us, some other fans, bring some people with you. Should be a good time either way. Maybe I'll just be sitting there by myself eating a burger, but uh, come say hi to me at least. So uh, that's one thing. Also, even though we're eating at the salary, we should shout out to our sponsor, uh, the Blackbird Brasserie, a uh, new restaurant over there on Taché, uh, Suite 101 at uh, 300 Taché's address. So definitely go check them out. I don't think they have the screens to have us come watch the game there. Otherwise, we probably would. Um, they look like they got some great cuisine. I haven't had a chance to go down there myself, but uh, you should, and I will. So, anyhow, a uh, couple things about this episode I should just let you know. Was supposed to have Patrick Williams on. Uh, you may remember him. He used to cover the Jets for the first number of years uh, for the NHL.com. Um, now he covers mostly AHL stuff. Uh, he is going to be on, but it looks like that interview is probably getting pushed to next week uh, with the beginning of the season starting for him and his AHL prep. So, uh, Patrick Williams is coming on in the future. Also, uh, was going to be interviewing Jamie Thomas of Jets TV. Uh, that was supposed to be happening uh, last night, actually, but uh, Jamie is on the road with the Jets and uh, not feeling well. So uh, we have pushed that to next week as well. So look forward to Patrick Williams and Jamie Thomas coming on. And uh, oh yeah, Kyle Wellwood's coming up soon, too. So uh, he's uh, we're just waiting to hear back from him as far as the timing on that one. So... That's probably in the next week, two, three weeks, something like that. So some stuff to look forward to off the top of my head. That's all I can think of. Um, anyhow, this episode, um, because I didn't have those other uh, one or two uh, interviews to sort of fill it up, uh, it's just the first part is Daniel interviewing Derek Daniel of Arctic Ice Hockey, and they're just doing a cent- Central Division preview. I listened to it, and uh, I think they did a really good job breaking it down. Um, so listen to that. And then for the second part, just to sort of, fill out the episode, I've also included an old audio clip of uh, myself interviewing Murat. This is back from, what was it, March, April, something like that last year. So obviously, as you can tell, there's some stuff there that uh, it's interesting to see where we've we've come. Uh, but obviously, some of the predictions and things, you know, we already know how they've played out with contracts. So, but uh, there is some good information there where I'm trying to get, uh, get him to pin down, simplifying some analytic analytic numbers and whatnot so anyhow it was fun we 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 did it uh in my basement uh like i said back in march or something so that was the first time that i'd ever recorded with marat so i've added that audio just for a little something for those of you who haven't heard it before that's actually from an old podcast that chris and i used to 
run and we'll probably do again in the future. But anyhow, this intro is getting really long. Let's get to the episode. Hope you enjoy it and hope you come and join us at the Saturday tonight. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Jet Centric. I'm here today with uh, Derek Gagnon of uh, Arctic Ice Hockey, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Central Division, a little bit of previews of all the uh, all the Central Division teams and some change, changes that may have happened, addition, subtraction, what our final standings might be. And yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. So, uh, Derek, so first we'll start with you and maybe a little bit about yourself, what you do, you know, how you got into hockey writing or blocking or whatever it is you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been writing uh, about hockey for since the, the Jets came back in 2011. Really, it was that return that prompted me to start focusing on writing as a whole as well as writing about hockey. So I started out with Arctic Ice Hockey around October, November of 2011. Started as just a normal author and then within a few minutes or within a few months rather (laughs) was uh, promoted to managing editor of that site I held that position for a little while before leaving to pursue uh, a post-secondary education where I was focusing on writing and communications Um, came back to the blog not as um, I won't I won't say not as dedicated but not as committed um as i was before just taking a lesser role um but still happy to contribute to it and still happy to write about the jets whenever possible just makes me happy and interact is also always a good time so yeah that's basically my jets writing career right okay so that's that's pretty cool i think i saw you writing for the or focusing on the moose this year or something like that as well that's Something that I saw there. Yeah. One of the things we've been able to do is that with the addition of some new writers, we can let people such as Kara, who is the managing editor of the blog, and myself focus on things that aren't as day-to-day, uh, the, the 82 games per year, but rather doing other things. My particular interest has been with the prospects as well as the AHL club and looking at people that are potentially coming up through the system but aren't quite there yet and making sure that their stories are still being told as they develop. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, you kind of keep, keep people thinking about what's in the future as well as what's happening today or yesterday. Right. So that's, yep. that's a pretty good concept. Good idea. Something people could look forward to checking out over the season, I'm sure. So that's a good Good thing you guys are doing there. So we'll hop into our little central division preview, maybe call it an off-season recap of what happened or that's since the season starts yeah. right around the corner. So uh, first off, we'll uh, hit the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, I guess. Uh, they're probably going to be the lowest-ranked team in the division, I assume. I mean, what they're, they're getting old and they're paying everybody too much money and they have no up-and-coming talent, that kind of thing, right? So what's your takes on the Hawks this year? Who, who do they add? You know, I know they added uh, Cam Ward, I believe. Um, that's not really the big addition. But, uh, yeah, so what's your thoughts on the Hawks this year? Yeah, with, with Corey Crawford, I don't even know how long he's projected to be out anymore. Like, his concussion history has made it so that his career seemingly is in jeopardy. 
They went out and signed Cam Ward from Carolina as a free agent in July. Uh, that was a good idea probably 10 years ago. Cam Ward's now approaching 35 years old. They also went dipped into free agency to sign 39-year-old Chris Kunitz. <laughs> like, it's the exact wrong way to go in terms of let's make the playoffs this year after that. That's, yeah, that's pretty backwards there, yeah. <laughs> 35 years old. Um, any team that has Patrick Kane on it has the capability of winning on any given night. He is that good of a player, but even he is starting to age. Like he'll be turning 30 within the next couple of months here. So again, I just don't see any way where this team doesn't just stay right in the bottom of the central division. The division itself is too good that if you have to play the other six teams often enough as you do, there's just no way for them to do any better than they did last year. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, you you play so many games against your division, you have to be probably over 500 against most of your divisional rivals to have a good shot at the playoffs, right? You got to gain those four point wins, kind of thing, right? Yep. So that's yeah, that's something that the Hawks will struggle with this year and probably for the next few years until they can kind of figure out their cap situation. And, and get the, obviously, they were trading away a lot of draft picks to make their runs, and it worked out. They won, what was it, like three Stanley Cups or something. So, I yep. mean, risk for short-term gain for long-term loss or something like that. That's some kind of philosophical thing. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they got their three banners out of it. So Yeah, the banners are there forever, right? So, that's, that's what counts, right? That's something good to see, something for the fans to remember recent, right? So, yep. that'll be them. Uh, so we'll head on over to probably uh, St. Louis now. So St. Louis really solidified their uh, their centers this offseason. Uh, they acquired uh, Ryan O'Reilly out of Buffalo. Yep. They signed Tyler Bozak to a long-term contract in uh, free agency. He was out of Toronto. They also added Patrick Maroon. And their goaltending is still a little bit of a question mark. Their backup was definitely a downgrade from what they had last year. We're signing... Uh, 30-some-odd-year-old Chad Johnson to replace uh, Carter Hutton, I believe, yeah. was their, their backup before. So, anyways, so uh, your takes on the Blues this season, what we can expect? Well, uh, we'll see them soon enough with the, the opening game of the season right around the corner here, depending on when this broadcast goes there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the Blues, I, I've said it a few times so far this offseason. I think that Last year's missing the playoffs for the first time since 2011 is going to be a bit of an aberration for them. I think they find themselves back in the playoffs this year, particularly with the additions they made. Looks like Patrick Maroon's probably going to find himself on either the top line or the second line, depending on how you look at things. But I think he's going to end up with Ryan O'Reilly and then probably Tarasenko, which... He had 27 goals two years ago with the Oilers. I think he can potentially match that if he's playing with line mates like that this year. He's not the world beater. Like, I don't know if 30 goals is really something that he's capable of doing, but the high 20s, I think he can hit that. And if he does, they have that chance of the postseason. Their third line, I think, put up something like 155 points combined last year, and that's Alex Steen, Tyler Bozak, and David Perron. If that line can continue to contribute, I know they're all on the wrong side of 30, but still, mm-hmm. they, they have four depth with this team that could really do some damage. 
The depth that, as you mentioned, is a little bit concerning for them is their goaltending. If Jake Allen goes down, Chad Johnson's not the answer. Uh, he never has been. His career numbers are garbage. His season's bests are also not that good. So they really need Jake Allen to to not only stay healthy, but also carry a big chunk of the load going forward. Yeah, and the thing with Jake Allen, as we've seen in the past, last few years, I'm not sure how long he's been the starter there, the clear-cut starter. But uh, he's uh, he, he's very streaky, I want to say. Like, he's, like, he'll have, if he gets in a funk, he's in a really bad funk kind of thing. Yeah. And when he's when he's hot, he's hot, right? So that's probably not the ideal to not have a backup that you could plug in for a couple games if he's gone cold right yeah for for this team when he was starting out and that's been a thing that the st louis blues have done a lot where they've done the the 1a 1b tandem and it was really only a couple years ago in 2016-17 when he became that's when he had 61 games played last year he had 59 He's the guy, although last year his numbers tailed off. He went to a 906 save percentage that was, well, it's below average. Yeah. Below average just doesn't get you into the NHL playoffs. No, below average goaltending, especially out of your 60, 60 plus game man, is definitely not going to get you there. So that's, yeah. so that's the blues. So, I mean, the, the forward depth will definitely help mitigate some of their goaltending issues or defensive issues they may have. So we'll see how how that plays out there. Yep. Uh, we'll move, we'll move down to Dallas now. So I couldn't think of anything too major that Dallas did other than this Seguin signing that $9 billion deal or whatever he signed in the off season. So always, as we always say with Dallas, we see them make big off seasons and they go into the season with high expectations and then they don't do nothing or don't do too much. Right. Yeah. So, um... So with Dallas, I mean, they they can score, but can they stop the puck from going in the net, right? That's that's really the question with them. They've got some decent talent on their back end. John Klingberg is a very good and underrated defenseman. That's going to get top pairing minutes for them. They've got decent players. Jamie Benn is also another guy that I find is underrated for a guy that I'm pretty sure won an Art Ross not that long ago. Um, Jason Spets is just he's getting old sorry jason's bets i thought <laughs> three months but not anymore man um in terms of acquisitions for them in the offseason blake como came over from colorado he should slot into the second line do some damage not too much um anton kadobin is a guy that was in took a rest shadow for a while in uh in boston now he gets to be in a slightly bigger shadow literally because mm-hmm. he's playing behind ben bishop <laughs> All six foot seven of that man. Ben Bishop has had injury issues in the past that I think could mean Kadobin sees more of the crease than he potentially has in the past. But that's a pretty good one A, one B tandem, or even just a one and two tandem. Um, because Kadobin's put up decent numbers before. And if Ben Bishop does struggle for any particular reason, I think that that could be an easy way for them to slot that other goaltender in and get some wins. Do they make the playoffs? Mm. I have doubts about that. I think they're going to be right around where they were last year, which is three points out of playoff position at the end of things. It's tough, but I don't know. It's it's a tough division. And 
we've seen years past where the Winnipeg Jets put up, you know, 89, 90 points, and that just isn't good enough in this division. So I think they'll do okay, but I just don't think they make the playoffs at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like we always say, we've said for the last couple of years, the Central is just that big, tough division that it has the least amount of teams too. So it should be, you know, like maybe easier, I guess, but it's not, not at all, right? They just beat up on each other so much and they lose a lot of points to each other, to the top teams, right? That the middle of the pack or the bottom guys, they can't really catch up because they lose points to the top teams in the division, right? So that's something to kind of keep an eye on there and see how much points are actually lost within your division when you need them, you need, like you said, Dallas was three points out of the playoffs. That's two wins, right? So, yeah. so anyways, yeah, so that's that. And uh, Dallas Stars always uh, looking to make the playoffs, make a big hit, and they just can't, never seem to get it done. So we'll move up to Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they made a pretty big acquisition, I think, this offseason. They acquired Philip Grubauer out of Washington and put him behind Semyon Varmalov in net, and that's a pretty good 1A, 1B t- type of goaltending situation there, which is huge, I think. Yeah, for them in particular, that really is a 1A, 1B, where I don't think that there's one that really stands out to me. I think the closer to, to 50-50 they can get those two guys to go, the better they'll be. Varlamov has been good for years, or Varlamov, however you want to pronounce the <laughs> name. Um, he's good when he's not committing domestic abuse. Um, never mind. We won't go into that. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> But him and Grubauer together, that's, that's a pretty impressive tandem. I mean, yeah, you're paying $3.33 million for a, a second-string goalie in the case of Grubauer, and, but it might be worth it. Um, they made the playoffs by a whopping one point last year on the final day of the season against St. Louis, which was an awesome game. Um, just in the grand scheme of how important it was, it was winner, winner goes on, loser starts golfing. Yeah, it was kind of like that game 163 we saw in baseball the other day, right? You play awesome. that one win it in game kind of thing. That's, that's awesome that it worked out that way. Like we've seen it, we've seen it before. There was a few years ago, there's shootouts that resulted. I know that the Islanders and the Rangers have seen their fates decided by shootouts, right? With the Flyers, where it's yeah, game 82 and overtime solves nothing. So off to shootout. <laughs> and I mean, you're getting your entertainment value right there. But with Colorado, not a lot of of improvement in terms of acquisitions in in the off season. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog is about to turn twenty six years old, which just boggles my mind because he's been in the league for an eternity and he's still like coming into his prime. Nathan McKinnon, I thought, should have won the Hart Trophy last year. I mean, Taylor Hall did great. I thought Nathan McKinnon did better. Um, Miko Rantanen's a good young guy. Tyson Yos. There's just a lot of talent that's young on this team right now. The back end is a little bit where I start to to question things. Yeah. Like their their defense is Tyson Berry's probably their best guy back there. Samuel Gerard, Eric Johnson, Nikita Zadorov. Yeah. Not not that good. Yeah, not the top end top six you'd kind of like to out of a playoff team. But I mean like Nathan McKinnon is 
one of the top five players in the league, probably, I'd say. So that's good oh, enough yeah. for a few wins there just on his own. If he's and healthy, he's going to win them a bunch of games by himself. Yeah, exactly. Like he, yeah, if he's putting up a point a game or whatever, I mean, that point or point and a quarter a game, probably, I imagine he'd be able to push that this year. So that's a pretty significant impact for one player. And that'll win you at least a handful of games, maybe more than that, right? So plus, plus a better goaltending situation. That wins you a few more games too, right? So I think I think they'll be able to push for the playoffs and very likely make the playoffs this season. I mean, all you really need is one player and a goaltender. Edmonton did that two years ago and they got them in the playoffs. Their goaltender stopped playing last year and it didn't work for them. Yeah, that's that's true. You just need just really a good goalie and even mediocre up front, really. Like yeah. actually, so so yeah, we'll see where that gets them. Uh, so we'll move. Uh, We'll move down to the Wild now, Minnesota Wild. So older team, most of their top players that I can think of are on the far wrong side of 30. They're pushing, you know, 32 plus, 33 plus. So their off-season acquisitions were just a bunch of depth players. I mean, depth is always good, but where does it really get you in the grand scheme of things when you're in the situation like they are? When your depth is Matt Hendricks, is it really good? Yeah, is that really your depth? I mean, <laughs> and uh, Matt Hendricks and uh, Eric Fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they also got uh, JT Brown too. So, like, depth guys, is is it really that good? I mean, I know they have a few younger guys that they'd probably like to call up from Iowa every once in a while. So, I mean, see where that gets them. Uh, yeah, so what do you think about the Wild this year? Uh I mean, I think they would come in last in the division if the Chicago Blackhawks didn't exist. <laughs> I know I've seen some models that have seen them returning to the postseason. I just don't see that. I see the oldest twenty, like the oldest opening night roster in the league. They have the oldest. It's around thirty. What? No, sorry, twenty-eight point seven years old on average. Right. Zach Parise, thirty-four. Miko Koivu is 35. Eric Stahl's about to turn 34. Matt Hendricks is 37. <laughs> uh, you got Ryan Suter, what's left of him, the walking corpse that is now yeah. Ryan. He's 33. Devin Dubnik, one of these days, is going to get old. Yeah. Just bound to happen sooner or later. When that happens, I don't know, but all of a sudden he's going to fall off a cliff and they're going to have some problems. Alex Stalock behind him in net, not that much younger either. Like you, you just, I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're just old. I mean, that's not always a bad thing, but it's a young man's game now as we've been seeing in the past few seasons. So I guess, and I mean, their cap situation isn't really the greatest either, so it's not even like they can do much with it. They're kind of stuck with what they have, right? They got yeah. all these older, older players, and I mean, they're still good players, but they're not really those game breakers that you need. And Devin Dubnik is due to not be great or be able to put up those long stretches that he's known for of 920 hockey or whatever he's been known to put up in his yeah. career, right? So that's that's definitely... Basically, their season will ride on Devin Dubnik and if he can put up a few good stretches to squeak them into the playoffs. Really the case, yep. Yeah, so so the Wild, I mean, yeah, they probably make the playoffs. I mean, but they're more likely to finish near the bottom of their division, I think, than make the playoffs. 
So, uh, so we got two teams left. Uh, we'll start with uh, Nashville Predators. <laughs> President's Trophy winner from last year. Uh, lost to the Jets in seven in the second round. So, I mean, they didn't do too much of note, if I recall. I know they got Dan, uh, Dan Hamhus on defense. They signed him. I didn't see too much else on them. So what do you think about them this season? I still think that their top four or yeah, their top two pairings of defense are arguably the best in the league. And I say that knowing what San Jose has, but Yossi and Ellis and then Ekholm and Subban are fantastic. And if Pecorine remains like the Pecorine we've seen over the past 10 years, this is a team that easily makes the playoffs on defense alone because they're not going to allow that many goals. You don't even have to score that many goals. And that's kind of been a thing with Nashville for, well, even back when Barry Trotz was in charge, this wasn't a team that was like, yeah, we're going to beat you with goals. This is a team that you're not going to score on. And I think that that's still going to be an, uh, a strength this year, unless Pecorine suddenly turns 36 and is like, Oh man, I'm old now. And he falls off a cliff and then Soros <laughs> isn't ready to, to take the load as his backup and as his successor. So really things hinge on Pecorine, but with the defense in front of them, the shots that Rene is going to see aren't necessarily going to be as dangerous as they would be if there was a different defensive core in front of them. Yeah, so he's kind of aged a little slowly, if you want to say. Like, he's kind of had, not, obviously, not an easy going but his shots against are pretty easy because their defense has been so solid throughout his entire career and especially with the top four they have now which is just definitely top top one or one to three in the league I'd say at of, yeah. uh, the top four defense there so so Nashville obviously I'm assuming are going to be fighting for the president's trophy again fighting for the top of the division again with with our Winnipeg Jets so what's your thoughts on the Jets this year, their offseason? You know, I mean, it wasn't too notable for bringing in players. They brought yeah. in a backup goaltender in Laurent Brossois, and that's about all I can think of of significant additions. Really? That's, yeah, that's about what you're going to get. The, the biggest addition to their lineup right now that I can think of that isn't Brossois is going to be Christian Veselainen, the, the rookie Finnish phenom question mark (laughs) like 19 years old playing in his first north american pro uh season he's obviously been playing pro in the european leagues for a while now i don't think brassois is really going to be that much of an issue i still expect hellebuck to carry a bunch of the games i don't want to see him play quite as many as he did last year 64 seemed to be something that caused him to wear down and, and he, again, he wasn't bad in the playoffs. He just wasn't as good as certain other people named Marc-Andre Fleury. So I really don't want to put any of the blame on him. It's really tough to say in a team game that the guy that was nominated for the Vezina trophy and that put up actually pretty decent numbers in the playoffs was at fault. He was just not as good as somebody who played out of his mind, but this team is getting better by age alone. Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Christian Veselin and Roslovic, Ehlers, Patrick Line, some guy named Patrick Line, <laughs> Josh Morrissey, Jacob Trouble. Like these are guys that are around 25 or younger. 
like Patrick Laine just turned 20 not that long ago. Yeah. Christian Veselainen is still a teenager. Roslovic's 21. Nick Ehlers is something like 22 years old. Like these are still kids that every year should be getting better if we believe that the peak age of NHL skaters is 27 years old. These guys are on the right side of that age and getting better. Like we could see potentially a quote unquote breakout year for Patrick Lyonet this year. He hasn't hit 50 goals before. Many people are saying that this could be the year when he takes that leap and surpasses Alex Ovechkin as the goal scorer in the NHL. I think it's entirely possible. I also think a guy like Mark Scheifele, if he plays 82 games, could be a guy that gets toward the 100-point mark. He's very talented as well. And the depth of this team, when you're able to ice a Vessel line and Rosalind Ehlers line as your third line, that's, that's something that most other teams can't possibly match. And that just makes them that much harder to beat. Because you can go out and you can put out your, your best defensive line against the, the Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler line. And you can put out your second best line against Pro Little and Line A. But your third best defensive line probably isn't really going to be that good defensively. And they have to put up with the speed and talent of Veseline and Rosalvik and Wheelers. Sorry, but you're going to get burned. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point. And then the Jets, of course, the fourth line is kind of Lowry and Kopp, which is the dominant possession line. So if the Jets ever need to just control the puck for a minute, throw them out there and they'll control the puck for a minute, they probably won't score, but at least you might get gain a momentum shift as they like to call it, you know, get a good shift, get a few shifts together, that kind of thing, right? Just get the pressure on by starting off with that Lowry, Tanev and Kopp line, which, which is something we see a lot, a lot done in, you know, just overall and controlling the puck, obviously, that's how you win the games. You control the puck, you shoot the puck, the puck goes in the net, you win. So yeah. that's that's basically hockey right there. I just described that. <laughs> but uh, so obviously the sticking point, other than the backup goaltending situation, obviously Hellebuck has to stay healthy. So we'll just pretend that happens. So the defense, like they have a big question mark on defense, I think. I mean, Joe Morrow, Ben Shirach, probably our seventh defenseman on normal teams and they're slotting them, slotting them both in to play on opening night is I believe is what I saw the other day. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably not very good. And yeah. So what, what is your take on the defense and uh, the Winnipeg Jets? Hopefully they're able to shelter that third pairing of Morrow and Myers as much as possible. I think that if they do that, Morrow Myers should be a capable third pairing. Ben Sherratt just scares me as a defender. Like, he makes some decisions that I just can't possibly comprehend. The one saving grace that's going to be Ben Sherratt's savior this year is the guy lining up to his right, who is all of 260 pounds and goes by the name of Dustin Bufflin. Because that is a man who's generally, whoever is playing with him, their numbers get inflated they get boosted a yeah little. they balloon a lot when when they're playing with Bufflin for sure yeah and I think hopefully that that is something that translates once again to Sherratt because we've seen it with Sherratt specifically before where that's happened and I hope hope that that's something that works again if not there are a couple options that can slot in that I do believe are better 
Dmitry Kulikov and his four point three million dollar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, much as he's being overpaid, I still do think he's better than Ben Chirot if his back is anywhere near it once was. Sammy Niku is sitting in the minors waiting his turn. Um there's a couple other guys in that minors that could potentially step up, but as a left-handed shot, I think Niku would be the first call-up if they needed one. But again, Kulikov would come into the lineup first if they needed to bail anybody out. But really, that top pairing of Morrissey Truba, they are a very underrated defensive pairing, I find. They don't get a lot of love on the National League or the National Hockey yeah. League bail. Um, just how effective they are at shutting other people down. I think that's because offensively they're not putting in the goals that guys like Carlson and Subban are. So that defensive defenseman doesn't get the love that it could, but they are very hard to play against. And that is something that makes the Jets that much better. And they can go out and shut down the top line fairly easily, fairly regularly. And then you just have to hope that your other lines are able to, to carry the load and that Connor Hellebuck does what Connor Hellebuck has shown he's capable of doing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point there with the the Truba Morrissey. They're just they emerged last season, which was something that we had all kind of been waiting for since since Josh Morrissey was drafted into the organization. I believe he said in an interview that he was expected to be Jacob Truba's partner as they grew together yeah. through the system and through their years, right? So that's something that they may be planned for and it happened. So that's something good. And obviously we don't know how long we have left of that pairing with the Jacob Truba contract situation, yeah. but we'll see, see where that takes us, but we'll just go year by year, I guess with that, right? <laughs> right now they're both restricted free agents until further notice when their contracts expire. So hopefully Truba can be convinced to sign here long-term and same thing for Morrissey. We'll see. We'll see how the cap goes in the, the next summer. And yeah, but those two will be instrumental to the long-term success for this franchise. Yeah, exactly. Right. Your top pairing defenses, defensemen are pretty, pretty, a pretty big deal. Right. So, so just a quick rundown then of what you have the central division standings as obviously we said the Jets and Preds would be fighting it out for first and second and possibly the president's trophy or the conference. So what does your, the rest of your division look like? Well, I'm going Jets number one because I'm incredibly biased and I don't care who is it. Uh, Predators number two. I think St. Louis gets back in. I think they take that third spot. Um, after that, I think Colorado is again right on that cusp of whether or not they make the playoffs or not. Dallas is also in that mix, but it's really going to be what happens with the California teams. Although Los Angeles is really the one that I think could or could not make the playoffs and that'll impact um, whether or not there's five or four central division teams in the playoffs. I think there's going to be four. Mm -hmm. um, the minimum is obviously three, but I think there'll be four. There could be five. And that fifth one would be probably Dallas. Right. Okay. So yeah. I'll, so I'll go Colorado fourth, Dallas fifth, Minnesota and Chicago way out of the picture in sixth and seventh. Um, I just don't understand why people keep thinking Minnesota is going to do good this year. I just don't see it. It's yeah. You know what? Like I, I like the wild. Like, I mean, I've watched them 
since like before the Jets came back because I was they were just the closest in proximity and I'm I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan too right so you kind of just connect yeah. connect through that and I mean as much as I'd like to see them do well I just don't see that them really challenging too hard for a playoff spot I mean like I said Devin Dubnik is a big variable in that uh, in that whole scheme of things but he will get old one day right so that's the that's the kicker there I think. So, so there's our central division preview kind of preview kind of breakdown of, you know, additions, stuff to look out for in that. So, uh, Derek, would you like to kind of plug anything that you're working on or stuff you want people to check out or anything like that? Uh, you can check out Arctic Ice Hockey at arcticicehockey.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Arctic Ice Hockey. You can also follow me, Derek Gagno one if you don't know how to spell it check out the jet centric page and maybe they'll retweet my name or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll for sure do that. I had seen, uh, seen the other day. Yeah. I think it's you putting out that top 25 under 25 for the jets. Is that, is yeah. that yours? Yeah. I've, I've been pumping those out with uh, reckless abandon as of late. I, I had the idea or we had the idea earlier in the summer that we wanted to do it, but life got in the way. And then I was like, Oh, let's try and see if I can get it out by opening night. Not going to get there. I still have 14 to go, but we're starting to get into the actual NHL players and NHL caliber talents. So they're a little bit more fun to write as mm-hmm. you get down the, the list. No spoilers on who takes number one. But- <laughs> They score a lot. <laughs> well, the whole Jets team scores a lot, so it could be anyone, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, Derek. So uh, thanks thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, for those that don't know, we actually, this is our second time recording this. We had technical issues after the first episode. So, so anyways, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. And we'll maybe have you on later in the year to see how our little predictions or uh, breakdowns went. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Perfect. Thanks a lot. All right, we're back. Now it's time to talk about the sports. So um, I'm just going to get into some of the questions that either I had or um, some other people um, had. Um, First one is, actually, I just showed it to you. This is, I have two, actually three. One, One is Bufflin. But I have two hockey cards here. They're both Nick Patan um, World Junior cards. They're different. And now if you look on the back, I'll let you hold one. I hold one. <laughs> okay. There are stats that they show. Games played, goals, assists, points, plus minus, penalty minutes, and power play goals. Right? Right. Fair. Now, this has kind of been the stereotypical way of showing stats for a long, long time. And I've asked a question. No one ever seems to want to talk about this. But whether it's on here or whether it's on an NHL website or whatnot, unless you're going into the details of it. Um, these are sort of the typical stats that they show you. So when you're measuring hockey and, and value, what stats would you add as sort of when you're just showing you the base stats without the, the real complicated spreadsheets that go on for five pages and you got to scroll down, you know, to, to get to the bottom of which stats would you say should be mandatory that you show with basic stats to make them more applicable? Maybe add like two, two stats that you would add and two that you take away. And I think the two to take away to me, well, in this one, uh, maybe not as obvious, but because I think they added that last one in there, which I think is a bit weird, but um, I'm curious. I think the takeaway ones are a bit more obvious, but I mean, which, which ones would you add? What, what stats show 
value of a player and what they do? Well, I'll, I'll start with the takeaway because that's easier for me, especially in the context of this hockey card. Um, the stats that they're putting on, the games played, the, the goals assists, I think the reason that they're on this card are just because they're easy to count. Right. And they're simple, and it's not too confusing to look at, you know, goals or assists or power play goals. You, you understand what those mean immediately. Um, but I think when that becomes the default way that you report on sports stats, you look at those headings and you think these things must be important. Right. So penalty minutes, this yeah. weird thing that, like, we somehow treat that as something that adds value. Like, this is a guy that, well, if he gets lots of penalty minutes, minutes he must have a lot of grit. He must lay the body. He must... Like wear other teams down and things like this, and I think if you've got an awful lot of minor penalty minutes, you're just hurting your team, yeah. sending yourself to the penalty kill more often than not. And you can measure how many goals go in as an as a result of all those extra PKs. Yeah. Um, and then plus minus is I think is the other obvious one to get rid of, just because. I mean, in theory, it's good to know how many times you get scored on versus how many times you score when you're on the ice. But when you're counting empty net goals, when you're counting um, shorthanded goals for one way and you're not counting, like, it's just put together in such a garbage way that I don't think it tells you anything about uh, a player's performance at the end of the day. It doesn't tell you about your quality of competition or anything either. No. Right. But uh, so the but the plus minus like I've heard Garrett Hole talk about this before that um, the biggest problem with plus minus is not the idea of it but it's the execution of the stat like if they had a better way of measuring plus minus they could actually make it into a valuable stat but as it stands right now it doesn't tell you exactly as as much as you might think it does especially for some people. Yeah, well, if you're on the ice with, you know, you've got your goalie pulled, you're down by a goal, and the other team scores on you into your empty net, should you get a minus for that? Well, you do. Yeah. Um, or shorthanded goals, the whole that whole sort of thing. So I, I like to look at just five-on-five five goals for and against. That makes it a lot cleaner just to start right there. Even then, you don't have context in terms of who you're playing against, who you're playing with, right? Um, all that sort of stuff. What I'm looking forward to eventually is like actual minutes and seconds of zone time. Right. Um, so what what is that called? Like as a stat line? Um, I think they would just call it zone time right now. Where I don't know if you used to play video games when you were a kid, and mm -hmm. like at the end of the day or at the as end a of the kid, game, how about after you leave? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after that. Um, yeah. It tells you how much time you spent in the other team's end, and that's one of the most important things you can do to win a game is be in the right area of the ice. And that's a really oversimplified way of, of saying it, but yeah, that's why shot attempts matter. It's, it's not because that a shot attempt or a Corsi has some magical thing about it. It's that when you look at how many shot attempts you create over the course of a season and then count up all the minutes and seconds of zone time, those things correlate really, really closely. It tells you almost exactly where, you know, you, you have 55% shot attempts, you probably spent 55% of the time in the other team's end instead of yours, and you know that that's a good thing. Right. Um, once you're in the zone, where those shots come from matter a lot, whether the puck's moving before matters a lot, who's shooting matters a lot, um, all sorts of other stuff. But, uh, but that's why I think shot attempts are most important, not because there's something magical about directing a shot towards the net, but because when you zoom out and look at you know enough games, it tells you exactly where the the puck is on the ice. Right, it's a it's a possession stat more than anything, right? Like it says, you have the puck because 
the other team isn't just passing around on their own end. Well, you chase them around in their own end. It generally means, like shot attempts means you also have the possession, right? You, you need a possession to be able to take the shot to score the goals. So so you would take off plus minus and pims, especially the penalty. And that's, we could probably both agree that's like the dumbest stat to like measure a player by. I think you should count it, but then just think of it as a bad thing. Yeah, the anti the anti stat, um, and then so stats that you would add like that the stats that exist because you mentioned the one about the zone time. Uh, is there like a like could you say Patrick Line has a fifty three percent zone time? Like, is there an actual measured stat where you that has a name and has something where there's a line if you if you're above fifty five or above point two, whatever it's measuring mm-hmm. um, that actually exists that you could put that on a, a player card for instance and that will be something that people will value more in, in the future when it because that's uh, that's a real base thing but for I remember collecting hockey cards as a kid I remember we'd be like my guy Dino Cicerelli had 680 penalty minutes right and we thought that was a thing right and so even it could be an educating thing for the kids so you would add Corsi to to a hockey card? Yeah, and then I might add something in terms of um, of an expected goals or a high danger scoring chance type situation. Right. Both of those, if you get into their definitions and exactly how they're counted, aren't perfect. They're right. just estimates of important things, but they're a lot closer to important things than strictly goals, assists, points, PIMs, etc. Right. They tell you a bit more of the story. All right. Um... Somebody asked uh, thoughts about where the Jets' salary cap will be next year. I guess there's a bunch of uh, free agents and restricted free agents, mostly restricted free agents coming up this summer. Um, do you think they'll be pushing right to the limit? Who gets signed? Who do they wait on? They get Liney done this year, or do they wait? Yeah, I, I think that they will be up tight to the cap and basically as close as they can go without playing too much with their bonus overages. I know that that's something that they've talked to me personally, about as something that they're trying to avoid. Um, in terms of who stays and who goes, I would. I think Matthias is easy to walk away from. I think yeah. Hendricks is easy to walk away from, no matter what Coach Paul Maurice might seem to indicate. Yeah. Um, and I think the restricted free agents that Winnipeg has are all important. You know, Connor Hellebuck, Jacob Truba is as important as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Morrissey and then Line's contract is going to be a big one because it influences how well you can build around him. Right. I guess that's yeah. I mean, the salary cap is it's an efficiency contest, and the more uh, the more room you leave yourself to work around a guy like Line, obviously it's you know that's clear to everybody. It's a better odds of being able to build a winning team around it. Yeah. There is a lot of research that says you can't overpay the best players, like Connor McDavid. If you gave him the max of 20 percent of the cap. You would still be underpaying him, right. but teams for the, for kill themselves added. with yeah for value added exactly yeah. yeah. But teams kill themselves with the middle stuff, and um, Winnipeg has some some not crippling middle tier stuff, but stuff that's going to make their job a little bit harder. Ryan Little, his yeah, contract. Yeah, Ryan Little would be the one that comes to mind. Fine for now, but how soon is that going to be a bit of a just wasted money? Not an albatross, not a guy who can't play, but just a guy who's not worth the five whatever he's getting. Um, Tyler Myers is already not worth this contract. If they bring him back for something similar to that in two years, that'll be uh, a waste of money. And those are places that they're going to have to get absurdly ruthless with because I, I can't see getting out of line a for something less than ten million. Like I just, I mean, that's 
it's such a rare skill and goal scorers are valued so highly. And maybe it's awkward that he's a winger and not a center in terms of driving play. But like, if you want to keep a line, you have to pay a line. Right. So those middle tier guys, they're going to have to get ruthless with. I think Brian Little is a, a great possible Seattle, whatever they end up being called. Right, yeah, yeah. I think Myers is a great guy to walk away from, bring up Niku. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for sure. Enstrom at a discount, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I know. I'm, I think you did some writing about that, right? About the defense, or, or yeah. maybe tweeting about that. I need to do a deep dive. And yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. But I think you had some comments about uh, it before you posted the article too. Yeah. A lot of research into that when we went into that one. So in terms of like, at what age should he make it so that we're not worried that he's you know not going to be an impact player? Right. His offense compared to other guys in the AHL at similar ages, all that sort of stuff, and. Like, without going into it too deeply, basically, he's ready. He's proven that. Um, And he's at the age where he should make it. And he's comparing very well to a lot of guys. So, yeah, this season, if you bring him in as a way to save money, it's it's a good step. So now, going into next year, is there any player, like, you mentioned the Brian Little. That's the one I was going to bring up. Um, I know uh, Tony has mentioned the idea of moving him to the wing uh, to be more effective. But just talking about the the money side of things, which I thought was interesting, when he becomes less effective down down the middle, um, that some veteran players he'd seen people do that, and I like that idea. I don't know what you think about that, but besides that, with the the money thing, it, do you think going into next season, if you're talking like the top nine forwards or something, and I guess maybe the top, well, the D, I guess there's there's the troop of question mark still. Some people, at least to some people, they feel like it's uncertain if he'll be back. I think he will, but. Um, and the Myers, the contract's already signed. So do you think of those top nine forwards that which one of them do you not see being back next year? Like that they maybe move already, like if they can get the line thing done and Truba thing done and Morrissey and, and all those other ones, they might have to make some money. Do you think he's most likely to be traded? Like I, I actually, off the top of my head, I can't remember how long Wheeler has left, but I can't see him being gone. Two more years right? as well. Two more years. And, and Little's is two years as well? I think Little has several so he, years. So yeah, he signed it five, five years yeah. or something, right? So yeah. and I think, okay, so do you see them moving on from Little at this point? Or do you think, like, maybe they parole? I don't I don't know. Like, who who do you mm-hmm. think would be gone in the top nine to if they can get all that money done, but they'd still need to make some room? So I've, I've played with this a little bit, and if you walk from Matthias and Hendricks and, and folks, and you... You can make it fit between the 78 and 82 million estimated cap mm-hmm. um, without having to jettison anybody this year right away. Right. Um, the following season when Lions contract actually kicks in, that's when things get a bit real. Right. Uh, which is conveniently when Myers' contract comes off the books as one guy I immediately see. And also when that expansion draft's going to be happening for Seattle. Right. I think that you can, I think one of the worst things you can do is trade your way out of the problem before you have it. Right. And I think. Edmonton is a good example of a team that just screwed themselves over by making these cap-related deals, getting rid of Hall for Larson and Eberle for Strom and things like this, just genuine, severely downgrading their team before they'd done anything or actually run up against the cap. Right. Um, In Winnipeg's case, I think it's about keeping everybody for this one more season and making those decisions in like two summers from now. Yeah. And then at that point, if you got to move a little of the wing... That's fine if he's still if he's still good there. I think he's a good prospect, like I said, to to go to Seattle. Yeah. By then, Kyle Connor's money is going to be kicking in as well. 
Little and Perot are probably the two best bets there. And as much as I hate to say it, because I'm such a big fan of Matthew Perot and like the sort of things that he does that contribute to to zone time, he's the best four checker on the team. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what offensive output I think he and, and Little will have by the time that all this sort of stuff comes home to roost. Yeah. Um, if if those are the two that guys that go, that's probably where where it ends up working. And then Roslovic ideally is ready to take that sort of Little esque role. Yeah. On defense, you can save money by signing Enstrom for cheaper, letting him walk this summer. Um, Myers, Truba is the keystone. Keep Truba, and then one of Myers and Bufflin can go, and Myers is the obvious answer. Everything about that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, Do you see the, like, Kulikov, too? Like, after his two years is done, it's gone? Because there's a Pullman, Niku, Morrissey. Likewise, yeah. Like, yeah? Soft gap. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And those guys, you need them. I mean, like, Kulikov and Myers on the third pairing is wonderful. Um push them up the lineup or pay them too much and suddenly it's just a it's a huge shit show that's an eight million dollar third line though that's, that's yeah and this season you can do it yeah i guess but, because you got a when you got truba and morrissey you have a what a three million dollar first line or their first pair right or whatever their combined salaries i know it's way less right than the, the, the kulikov and myers yeah. but um do you think that the like i think that they'll influence each other's do you think the Matthews gets done before Line or Line gets done before Matthews? Because uh, people are going to look at those as comparables, even though the players' position and what they do. But I mean, as far as the money wise, I'm sure people are going to want to. On Hockey Night in Canada today, they were sort of guessing about that and they were suggesting that it might take a little while over the course of the summer for. I think Matthews is the one that they were talking about with that. Uh, for me, obviously, I think they're definitely going to influence each other. I think Matthews as a center probably commands more money. And I think that he should, I think that building up the middle is the most important thing that you can do. Right. Um, but the, really line, doesn't have that many comparables. Like he, you know, in terms of guys who are young and score more than everybody else, right. you can look at Ovechkin's contract and his percentage of cap hit from when he signed it. Stamkos the same. Yeah. I don't think that there's too many ways around, a really big number, exactly uh-huh. what that is. It'll probably slide in right under uh, under Matthews. Um, probably Eichel-esque money is kind of what I'm uh, estimating. Which is $10 million a year? Yeah. Is that what he got? Yeah, okay. I think so, actually, yeah. Well, uh, worth double-checking. I, I like being right. So I'm not double-checking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the expert. Yeah. You, Marat, uh, Marat, Marat went on, on record saying that Jack Eichel makes $30 million a year. There you go. <laughs> say Damn it. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, just a quick thing. What is Corsi, and why is it a good measuring tool? Corsi. You kind of you kind of talked yeah. about it a, a, a bit before, but just a real layman's term. Um, I think I get it now. I know there's a couple of people that are listening that don't get it yet, but I think I I kind of do. So yeah, uh, it's any shot that hits the net or misses the net or hits the post or gets blocked. It's any time you try to shoot. Right. And the reason that it matters is that it gives you a really good sense of where the puck is. You can map it out over years and years and look and compare it to where the puck actually was on the ice. And Corsi matches like actual zone time so, so, so well. Um, so it tells you what teams are good at having the puck in the other end, which makes it good. Right. It doesn't make it perfect because some teams are better shooters. Some teams are better at getting to the front of the net, all that other sort of stuff. Um, but interestingly enough, after about 20 games of counting these shot attempts of all kinds, and then you can, after about 20 games of counting them, if you try to predict how many teams or how many games a team will win, 
shot attempts do a better job of predicting it than wins do. Hmm. And it sort of stands to reason if you have the puck in the other team's end for, for often enough, right. um, you're, you're going to win. Um, Carolina proved that it's not a guarantee because you can have shitty goaltending that sewers you. Right. Um, Edmonton proved that you know you can have one line that's really amazing at it and three lines that are AHL quality at it. Right. You won't win that way either. So it's never as easy as saying they have good shot attempts, they're automatically a good team. Right. But as a general rule, it just mirrors where the puck is so, so, so well. And it that, I mean, you got to have the puck in the other team's end to shoot. You have to shoot to score and all that sort of stuff comes from there. So with Corsi, then the, the actual formula for, for figuring it out, um, does it take into account um, what you do defensively? Like it's the difference between what you create and what you or what you generate versus what you have to defend, or is it only talking about the offensive side of it? Um, both, both. So you can express it different ways. So all of the shot attempts that happen when you're on the ice in the offensive zone um, versus all of them that happen against you when you're in the defensive zone, and usually you'll get a percentage out of that. Right. So. You know, you'll see somebody has 55% Corsi, and it means that 55% of the shot attempts happen in, for them in the offensive zone right. uh, compared to against. But you can also sort of separate it out and look at how many shot attempts per minute for you get, so how many you generate for your team versus how many against you give up per minute because you can have an exact 50% shot attempt percentage but create, you know, shoot once every five minutes and let a shot against you once every five minutes, or you could shoot 10 times every five minutes and 10 times against every five minutes. So every single little bit of information you can give yourself gives you more context. And the more context you have, the more confident you can be that you're actually saying something useful. Right. So, so because you're mentioning like the 55%, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm pretty sure I'm confident. You want to be seeing a player that's above the 50%. Yeah, generally, right? yeah. If you have 51%, that means, you know, your um, equivalent opponent on the other side, if you kind of average it out, had 49%, right? Like, so mm-hmm. as long as you're above that 50%, you're likely doing things more righter than wrong. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Um, but, uh, well, I guess I kind of answered this before. I was going to ask you if you followed the Jets closely before, but uh, that was... Uh, not so much. You guys teach me more about Jets history every day than, yeah, I, I, know. than I ever knew. Uh, okay. Um, well, I was, I was going to ask you, you mentioned those uh, two other people that had uh, blogged before. Is your goal, like, would you like to work for an NHL team? Not necessarily your goal, but, like, if that opportunity came up, is that something that's uh, of interest to you? Or are you kind of liking sort of the media thing? I, I think you kind of see a bit behind the, the scenes. Does that look like a world that that now that you've seen it up close like this, that is interesting to you? You know the people who have done it? If uh, if I ever had the opportunity to do it, I'm sure I would take it because yeah. that's just such a unique thing to be able to get to do and sort of put that strategic brain to use and see if you can um, see if you can help uh, in, in that sort of way. Um, but I'm not living as if that's exactly coming down my, like, coming down the pipe. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't genuinely like writing. Yeah. And like, I'm in it because I like writing. I like hockey. I I love writing. I love hockey. And I feel like through writing about hockey, I learn more about how it works, what matters, what doesn't. And I can share that. And if that's all it ever was, I think I'd be happy with it as long as people were getting value from it. Right. Cool. Um, I wanted to draw the comparison. I actually asked uh, Micah, 
McCurdy when he was in town about this when he gave that that talk that we went to, um, just because uh, I actually gave him a ride over to the 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 restaurant afterwards and we were chatting and I said in basketball and then he told me it was something I'll just sort of back up he said that the the size of the the court and the number of players and their movement and speed up and down is very comparable to the mechanics of hockey, you know, the size of the ice is bigger, but you get up and down it quicker. And so there's some, some huge comparables between analytics and basketball and, uh, to hockey. But I always, I have, I don't know what answer or question I'm looking for with this, but I'm curious how you see, um, the impact of players because as, for instance, LeBron James, you know, they play 48 minutes, they play 45 minutes. So he's playing, you know, 97% of the game, and then he scores 30 points out of their 100. So he scored one-third of all their points, right? Whereas you take his equivalent, Sidney Crosby, right? He's playing 20 minutes of 60, right? So now he's only playing one-third, never mind scoring a third. And then he might be scoring if they score, I don't know, 300 goals in a season, he might have 40, right? So it's, a, it's way less. So it seems like the impact of star players and, and all players because of limited ice time and, and the nature of the sports and his bigger bench – have less impact than in basketball. Um, but then do you think because of, because I, I, I think that's a fact, like is it safe yeah, to say that's... I won't argue with that at all. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So then do you think because of that, um, it's easy to tell who the great players are in hockey because they sort of rise above, but maybe sometimes it's harder to see who the bad players are and who the good players are because the effect that they have unless you get into like a deep dive like you're doing with analytics, but I'm talking from just a typical, you know, dum-dum fan kind of perspective, it's maybe harder and more argumentative with people to say who's a good player, right? And who's a bad player. And it seems like those lines are so blurrable that people really can't, there's no consensus. The stars are consensus, you know, and in basketball it's like even more obvious but because the impact is less, that that it's harder to tell. So would you would you agree with that or have anything to add <laughs> to the idea that it's harder to tell who good players are, not the great ones, good ones and who the bad ones are and how they sort of relate? Um, I wish I had a lot to add to it, but really I just agree with the line of thinking. It makes perfect sense to me logically in terms of the amount of people playing the amount of minutes. And in hockey, that's one thing that we have – now that was a little bit different than say in the 80s where the difference between the stars and the scrubs were so big yeah um uh, now in in hockey you know it is really a matter of percentages and like really really minor differences in a lot of different ways and it's interesting it seems to me that there's a lot lots of different styles and a lot of different visual approaches to to really you know trying to do the same thing score more goals than the other team does that there's a lot of subjective Okay, so objectively, I believe that the talent distribution is fairly compact, right? just like you're saying. And then subjectively, I think there's just so many different ways to go about what you do as a hockey player that, you know, that those arguments are never going to end. Right, yeah. Like there's so many different styles of play and so many different and, ways of skating, ways of getting the job done. And people have their preferences of players that they like and the style that they like, maybe based on their own abilities so they find players that they like that they identify with because 
Maybe they're a crappy beer leaguer, so they try and find the player that's the grittiest, crappiest beer leaguer type. <laughs> and so that becomes their favorite player. And yeah. I, I'm not, that like, or I'm, somebody who can do something you'll never be able to do. Yeah. And I'm, only, I'm only half joking, but I think there is some truth to that. But then I find that that sort of drives the old thinking of hockey because if, um, it's maybe a little bit harder to prove that your way is right and also harder for people to prove that you're wrong. Like I have my strong opinions about Paul Maurice. And uh, which I, I won't get too much into because I don't want you to have to speak about it all. But um, I, I I have my my opinions uh, about it. But I just feel like I can't prove that I'm right. But no one can prove that I'm wrong. Whereas it's obvious that LeBron James is the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and and Ty Lue is, is a nobody. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. and he's coaching him and telling him when to to sit down. So I, it seems like change is so slow in hockey because of it. And then uh, I remember chatting with Garrett about this too. He talked about like puck luck. But I mean, if you take, again, I'll use about, it doesn't matter which sport actually, maybe baseball, I, I'm not familiar with. But if you take the New England Patriots in football and the Cleveland Browns, right? And you put them, play 10 games. I mean, New England beats them 10 out of 10 times, right? And if you take the Cleveland or the Golden State Warriors and they play, I don't even know who's shitty in the NBA. The, the blankety blankers since the, the Washington Generals, right? Just the, sure, the yeah. worst possible team. They probably beat them. I'm going to guess. I'm, I'm making these numbers up. Seven, eight, nine times out of ten. But if you take the Winnipeg Jets or the Maple Leafs or, or just some other top team right now, Vegas, top team in the NHL, and put them against Arizona, right? How many times do you think they beat Arizona? Like 60 40, 63 yeah. 47, like or 37, pardon me. Yeah, and there's probably, and there's probably like a couple ties in there, like washes, right? It comes mm-hmm. down to a skills competition at the end. So then, because of that, like the, it, there's not as much between the teams as a whole, never mind, like I was talking about the players, too. It seems like you can't, people argue about who's good, who's bad. But even like with the teams, it seems like it's, I don't know if that, uh, what you talk about the talent distribution, it's sort of like, even as like a whole league, it's it's hard to even like say that this one team is so much more elite. It's not as obvious, yeah. right? And that I think that makes it harder. Uh, maybe that's kind of the question I'm maybe getting at. Do you feel like that makes it harder? It feels like it would be easier in basketball to just know and just analyze and be like, this guy's trash, get him out of here. You know, then in, in hockey with the old thinking and the fact that everything's closer with the skill and even like with the teams that it, it, the, the competition level would be a lot closer um, it's kind of more on the margins of, of, of puck luck and things well, can happen. So as you were talking, my mind was going to puck luck and right. just yeah, I, I don't know how like weirdly theoretical to get, but just by having these what I'm going to call arbitrary limits or bookends on what a hockey game is at the end of 60 minutes, that's a game, and whoever has more goals at the end of that wins, right? Versus like the weird alternative to that is that you count up every goal you scored over those 82 games and every goal you gave up against in those 80, like 82 games um, by limiting it in that sort of short term, which I know happens in other sports as well, but hockey has so much chaos to it. You're going to get situations where, you know, a team has a lot of wins just because they got goals in the right collection of 60 minutes and a lot of losses or, or a lot of losses because they gave, gave them up um, in, in just the wrong pattern. But because, it's not as simple as being better. You have to get the, there's just so much more chaos and more potential for bounces and strange luck in hockey. It's just like you're saying, and I believe it very, very fully myself. 
compared to those other sports. And that's why the better team doesn't always win. You talked about tennis earlier. The better tennis player wins almost every match. Yeah. Um, on the day of, anyway. Um, and it's one of the, like, magical things about hockey. It's also one of the most infuriating things about hockey. Yeah. The beauty and the beast of it, yeah. If you're trying to, like, measure it with a with a good sense of trying to be, like, change thinking, make it a more modern thing, you don't have as much killer yes, 100% yes or no situations to point to that you're right, just like you said. That might be why it's slow. Right. Um, the culture certainly seems to be conservative. Like even in the press box, I walk in and, you know, I'm a white man. And so I'm very at home in those situations. But like I look around, it's like pretty much all white men. Yeah. And um, there is just certain groups of people who seem to get to have opinions that matter in hockey. Right. And hopefully that changes because the better or the more that you include, the more the better the ideas that you're going to be able to use. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a bit of an oxymoron that seems like it's, just the perfect breeding ground for uh, being argumentative, right? Because you can't be as right as you'd like to be, right? But whereas the analytics and the numbers seem to give some people a heads up, unless some people just kind of plug their ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you. I like my eye test is better than your numbers. I, you could take your numbers. You're like, literally, I didn't make them up. The, you, the, all your eye test just saw all those numbers, right? Then you just didn't count them. That's that's the difference. So well but said. It, yeah. it, it feels like... It's the arguments that happen, whether it's online or whether it's in a boardroom, you know, talking about draft picks and, and whatever it is. It seems like um, hockey will always live on that 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 fence, you know, that oxymoron between what's right, what's wrong, good idea, bad idea, old thinking, new thinking, right? I don't I don't see that changing. And I, I guess part of the questioning and thought process when I was thinking about all this is like, do you like that? Is that like, <laughs> does that feel like a Two different ways question. I want to take that question. Or do you feel question. more right, more writer because you maybe have a good, not writer, like with a W, with an R. I know it's not a <laughs> word, but more writer because maybe you have some more facts that back up. Um, um, I think that like the impossible looking thing is that hockey has so many fluid and dynamic moments that it's tough to feel like you're counting it in like a baseball-y type of way, like, or, or a basketball sort of way. There are so many different possible combinations of people on the ice and positions of people on the ice and bounces and things that are unique to hockey that at this moment, I feel like it's, it's, it seems kind of daunting, daunting to be able to think that you're going to ever get a hold of that. Yeah. But once you get the camera tracking technology on this sort of stuff, you're going to be able to use gravity score. So you're yeah. going to be able to see Mark <laughs> Shifley take it through the neutral zone and one of one of his gifts is timing, and he waits until he is covered, um, until somebody takes a step towards him in the neutral zone before he lays off his pass because it gives his teammate more space. You're going to be able to measure that, right. and that's one example of something we don't have right now. Basketball has, and they're doing a better job with it. You can like there's a number behind how many people shift out of position to cover LeBron James when he beats somebody one on one, right? Um, I think this stuff is out there and it's doable and some of that lovely addicting, like, we don't know the answer stuff. Eventually, we'll, we're going to get pretty good at it Yeah. as as the data and the tracking gets better. But to go weirdly artist on you, yeah. there's, a, there's a playwright, like, well, Chekhov is a playwright that I absolutely love. And the reason why I love his plays is that there's a lot of uncertainty. 
Mm-hmm. At the end of it, you're the will they or won't they romance. He doesn't tell you right. the like, did it work out for this person or not? You spent the entire hour stressing over it, but he doesn't give you the answer necessarily. Um, and sometimes those are the most addicting stories that there are. Right. And like, yeah, like a, you, you both kind of allude to, I think that's sort of like what's cool about hockey and what's like great and like makes it a unique game. We're talking about the technology thing. I mean, even I've seen it, I think in hockey, but in soccer, it's been for years where player gets subbed off. He's like, he made 74 out of, you know, 83 passes. That'd be a lot of passes. Um, and he ran, you know, 6.7 kilometers before he got subbed off. So they know, they know the distance and they know exactly sort of the percentage of passes that they were able to complete, which is like, that seems like a pass completion rate seems like, you know what? Yeah. Great, 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 great example. Yeah. We should have that. It should be publicly available. It should be something we talk about all the time. Yeah. It's, it's just, and passes into certain spaces Yeah, and passes that make the goalie move. They, they talk about Royal road passes right now, which is like, it's a, it's a really good example of something that matters, but it's not everything that matters. Like all of this pre shot puck movement. Right. Uh, yeah, man, you're on fire. Like yeah. Or, or even like the one that I think, like, I don't think this would be a stat, but I think of a certain player uh, playing with jets, whatever. I feel like every time they have a chance to take it out of their own zone, they always make their partner take it out of the zone. They always, they'll never like, and if they do it, they always screw it up, but they'll always look 57. Yeah, he always does that. He kills me. I mean, it just seems like he's uh, not not confident, but I mean, heads up, whatever, and looks and just like give it to the other guy that has no better or worse chance of getting out of the zone, whether skating it or passing it out to somebody streaking or somebody up that wing or whatever it is, right? And it it drives me up a wall, and I just wonder, like, as people see, you made a you made a safe pass, right? But I mean, like, just from. The so- I, I never played hockey, so we could probably relate on the, the soccer thing, especially maybe as forwards. I mean, if you are just standing with your back to the net just waiting to get a pass, I played with a guy like this, he would get the ball, and he would just kind of either try and beat a person himself, uh, or he would just kind of lay it back off. Whereas I'm, I'd like to try and be a bit more dynamic, where if I see someone who's thinking, and they're running into that space, I'm trying to make a pass kind of curl in between two defenders right into that space where they're going, right? Something a bit more dynamic because that actually moves the ball up the field, moves it into dangerous spots, you know, gives you something as opposed to just these static passes, right? Like, because we could pass, you know, two defensive and pass the puck behind the net for an hour uh, and nobody comes like that one game with Florida and whoever it was years ago. Remember that one where they just, they went, they were in, I think it's Philadelphia was playing like a trap on them or something or Tampa Bay. And, uh, they just kind of were moving the puck, just kind of waiting for them to put pressure on them so they can kind yeah. of break out of their zone. Even recently against McDavid in overtime the other day at three on three, they were trying to kill his shift. So, uh, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, two, so again, if you, people, you know, you say passes completed, people can make a million safe passes and have them completed, mm-hmm. but you do nothing with it. You're not dynamic at all. It drives you up a wall. I had this problem when I was coaching kids. <laughs> I like nothing like this kid has so much skill and nothing happens with the ball. No possession, no, no passes, no drive, nothing. And so I just, it's hard to explain it to people. I care when, about that a lot though. I absolutely like, do you create a better situation for that player than you had when you had it? Right. Like, yeah. And some guys will create shitty situations by putting it into people's feet or yeah. um, putting it into people who are in bad situations or static or have coverage or all those other sorts yeah. of things. And like what you said, soccer wise, like if you can give it to somebody who's attacking space, that is, yeah, yeah it's, it's such a strength over just 
somebody who's static and is going to try to beat somebody from a standstill. Yeah. Or, or releasing, releasing a possession before it needs to, like, because, you know, if somebody, whatever, if, if I give it to my, the defender's halfway between me and my partner, my partner, I could pass to them, but now they literally have equal opportunity to get to that person as they would have when they're coming to me. So I've put them at a disadvantage and made them have to panic with the puck, but my part was all right because I gave them a, a safe pass in the sense that I got it off, they had it, and it wasn't at their feet or anything. But now I put them in a difficult situation where now they have pressure, but now they look like an idiot, right? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's so many of those things that you people don't You didn't make look a at. mistake, but you didn't help. Yeah, exactly. And the, so there's so many things like that that happen in hockey that, uh, well, in sports in general, I mean, now now it's not just a hockey thing, that I wish that people were able to see. And it, and if they can't see it, I wish that there was ways to measure it and that people would value those, measure, those measurables, right? And uh, there's already some of those measurables not specific to the ones we're talking about now, the made up ones um, that people don't value already. And I, I think for yourself being an analytical mind would like people to probably value a bit more. And I think, I think uh, to just maybe in leading into my next question, I think you've done a very good job of making that accessible to uh, people. I know that there's a lot of people that are huge fan of your work and really appreciate what you've brought into the, the yeah. sports sphere in Winnipeg and in your coverage. Um, yeah. Well, thank you uh, on behalf of uh, all the subscribers and people that uh, enjoy your work. I'm just curious, um, where do you see yourself in like that, that media landscape? Like, where do you want to go with that? Um, what's your, your attitude going into it? Um, yeah. How do you, what's your approach? Um, so far my attitude is this is really fucking cool and I'm <laughs> glad that I get to do it. Yeah. Um, and that, I can't seem to answer a question without a story, but I met Mark Spector the other day and uh, his first question for me was, hey, isn't it really cool you get to watch your favorite team from the press box? Um, right. I didn't like that question very much. Right. Um, I thought it was limiting and, and um, oh, look, I'm naming names and complaining, but I, I thought it was a pretty patronizing question. I thought he was looking at me as a fan sort of thing that just like made this, this thing happen. So I'm... I want to be conscientious of the fact that this is a really cool thing that I get to do while not romanticizing it so much that I am a fan in the press box. And realistically, like I say, I, I want this team to do well for the city's sake, but I didn't grow up cheering for it either. Yeah. That doesn't answer your question at all. Where do I see this going? I care about understanding hockey. That's first and foremost the, the reason that I do this. And I want to share that information as much as possible. And I just want to have really good, really smart conversations about things that matter. And I'm, a little bit sick of meathead journalism and I'm a little bit sick of like, you know, we gave 110% or grid and shots and Chris Russell and like all that sort of old school thinking. And I think that in 2018 today, we're ready for better than that. And we're ready to have those nuanced conversations. And like, we're always going to have opinions about who matters and who doesn't and what style works and what style doesn't. But like, we need to get beyond the idea that we can say something louder and have it somehow be a, just because you say something louder, it doesn't make it right sort right. of thing. And I think that's what a lot of sports journalism that I follow has been. And I just, if, if I can engage you with a good story and a good hook, but then I can say things that matter, such as the penalty killing strategy where, you know, players are explaining what everybody's job is and what types of shots they're trying to prevent. We can get there, right? Like just cause you don't, study hockey for a living it, like like 99% of the people don't do it doesn't mean they're not smart they, yeah. like they don't 
people want to understand how things work. And I think we're ready to sort of pull back the veil a little bit and stop pretending it's just about who wants it more. Right. I don't know if that answered your question at no, all, I, but that's I, like, I that's why this, this is why this matters to me. Yeah. Well, I asked you kind of your approach and I, I think it's uh, people that, that appreciate what you're doing and everything probably get that, but it's neat to kind of hear it from your perspective that you, you've had an experience with it. You want to do different. And it's not even about uh, a comparison thing. You just uh, like it says this it's kind of just who you are like just in talking with you in the earlier part of the episode that like that's just what you've almost been groomed to be right it's not like you just saw something it was a response i mean you already have this writing background this math background intelligence you traveled it all this stuff and you have this experience of being a fan writing a blog you know starting off as like a peon there and then just kind of working your way up and myrtle knows you and now now you're here it's not like you had to you didn't have to step on anybody to, to get where you are. You've kind of done it like the the cleanest, fairest, nice guy way. You have, probably haven't even had the opportunity to really like try <laughs> and step on heads or, or, or like, yeah. you know, crush, you know, competition per se. But I think the way that you approached it and uh, how you got here, I think is very honorable and cool. And, and your approach here on in, I think is... Uh, just seems respectable to like a respectable base to kind of build off of. So it's, it's neat to kind of see how that all ties in from who you are and where you came from. So, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I see it that way. So it's actually really cool to hear you summarize it in that same way. I think it's a really good fit and I'm glad that it's happening. And I think that I can criticize without being a dick to anybody and like, and I think I can study and explore the game. Yeah. Um, from exactly the way that you describe yeah wow that's awesome i yeah. feel very vindicated right now <laughs> well and you know what i've i've had that experience in my life too where i thought i knew a lot of stuff about something and then just even to see someone else's approach like i mean if you have an open mind to learn and everything too there's stuff that i'm sure you can learn from uh i don't like either it's co-workers like people at athletic or other media or other teams or like um like other teams of media or people that are coming around i mean you as long as you're open to learn right and like you said even like with fans everyone feels like they want to understand better so if you can kind of bring a different angle of it people can learn from you you can learn from them you can see what you don't want to be right and and refine even what you are kind of becoming already because again this is pretty new to you right it's just september october november december january february march like the last seven months right must have been quite the whirlwind to now doing this like syndicated uh, podcast that's uh, you know going to be played in homes all around the world. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> seven I from the bottom. Now I'm at now the you're here. France optional couch. Yeah, <laughs> you did it. Well, congratulations, you made it. Okay, I'm just gonna see. I I don't know if I had any other uh, questions, either by myself or um, anyone else. Mm, no, that's it. I think that's it. I've written down everything, and uh, I'm gonna add your songs to the playlist. So. I think that's it. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks. Hope Thank you, you enjoyed it. I okay. did. We're going to go off air and finish eating uh, some junk food. Okay. Bye.